As we continue our year of Christ looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, our next series turns our focus to the Hebrew Scriptures. Within these histories and wisdom stories, we find the foreshadowing and the promises of the one who would become our Redeemer. If you are interested in learning more about Jesus, Christianity, or the faith community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, I encourage you to reach out to us on our website, ccgf.org. Our pastors and staff would love to connect with you and assist you in your experience with Christ. Here is the message from this past week. Grace and peace to you. Good morning. A quick announcement here before we jump into the message, and that's this. You might have noticed when you came in that there was a, a table set outside with a bunch of food trucks and some people signing up volunteers for our VBS, which is our, our summer day camp. And a couple of things about that that are happening this summer that we are, are very excited about. First of all, if you are a parent here and you haven't signed up your kid, you haven't registered yet them for, uh, for VBS, I would encourage you to do so. If you do, you'll get one of these food truck cars that are pretty excited. I got one this morning. The team wanted me to show you that they actually do, they drive <laughs> and they move forward. So uh, I'll get that later. I'm going to play with my cat with that today, this afternoon. That is my plan. So your kid will get one of those if you sign up. Please do. Uh, often our family is the last to sign up for things like this. And right now we, I'm excited to announce that last year we had almost 250 kids that were signed up and registered for Vacation Bible School, which was a great event. Right now, we have over 315 registered for this as well, which is exciting, yeah. So much so that we're actually moving it to this space because we've outgrown Wilson Hall for that as well. Our goal is for 400 kids to be coming here to minister to them over that week. And this is where we need you. We need volunteers and servants to serve during this time. You know, church, God has put us in a place where one of the main entry points for the gospel is to invest it into the next generation. Whether that's serving in the parking lot or greeting or leading a team during vacation Bible school, I would encourage you to consider to make some space and some time to serve in vacation Bible school. You will enjoy it. It might be the best week of your summer watching these kids worship God and grow in their relationships. And one of the things I love at Next Step, which we just had this morning, is when we hear people's stories, like, when did you come to Christ? It's often something like this. When I was a kid, someone brought me to a vacation Bible school, and it planted a seed that changed my life. And so we invite you to be a part of that. You can sign up to volunteer in the lobby here after the service. Please do so. Let me pray for that event, as God will use that, certainly, to impact people's hearts and lives. God, we are grateful for the place that you've placed us, God, for the families that live all around our church here in the greater western Pennsylvania area. And we're grateful for the kids that you are drawing to our Vacation Bible School, for the families that will be impacted by Vacation Bible School as well. And so, God, I pray for this family, Lord, that you would provide the hands and the labors and those that will serve your kids, Lord. And as we do that, Lord, we ask that you would share your joy with us and that we would see you impact young children's hearts and minds. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we start the message this morning, I, I have a question for you. Have you ever thought to yourself or maybe said out loud that, man, something needs to change? You know, maybe you looked at your bank account statement uh, last week and you, you noticed the deficit and you said, well, something needs to change. I need to change the way that I spent. 
Maybe you tried on a pair of shorts that fit last summer but are a little snug right now. And you thought to yourself, (laughs) I got amen on that. Something needs to change, apparently. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with life. Maybe the pace of work right now. Maybe the kids' activities. Maybe you sat down and talked with your husband and wife and have thought, man, life just isn't sustainable. We can't do this forever. Something needs to change. Well, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And this week, we're in the fifth week of our series entitled Promised. We've been looking through the Old Testament at the promises of a coming Messiah. Years before Jesus ever entered into, on this earth, we see these statements that promise one that will come and that one that will save. Today, we're looking at the books of the prophets and the message they give us of a promised one that would come and save as well. Let me give us a little bit of context this morning for what we're looking at together. First is this. During this time in Israel's history, there existed a, an inverse relationship, if you will, between the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of the people of Israel. That is that God was faithful to them, but in return, they were not faithful to him. Now, friends, this caused an astounding tension between God's promise to redeem and how God would fulfill his promises to the people of Israel. So enter into this tension come the prophets. There are 17 books in the Bible of the prophets, and they're divided into two different sides, the major and the minor prophets. These labels are simply due to the length of the books, not due to the importance of their content at all. But when you read the prophets, they're hard to read. At times, they can say things that that make us wince. They can seem very direct. And sometimes their message is is less than uplifting. The prophets themselves, well, they demonstrate odd behavior from time to time. As they try just about every creative method to get the attention of the people of Israel and the people of Judah. During this time... The prophets spoke on behalf of God. That means that their words were God's words. And they spoke about what was coming. Also, during this time, the kingdom of Israel was divided. And as a result, some spoke to Israel, some prophets did, and some prophets spoke to the southern kingdom, Judah. But their message was the same. If I were to sum up their first message, it would be this. Hey, something has to change. Something needs to change right now. In Israel and in our lives, we need a change. I like to think of it this way. Have you ever been driving down a road and come in contact with a road closure sign? I think we've got a picture of one here. You ever seen one of these? This can be annoying for sure when you're driving down a road. This happened to me just the other day right here in Swickley. I was driving with my wife and daughter, and we were driving in an area that I wasn't very familiar with. And so the detour that this sign was directing me on was one that I, I didn't feel comfortable going on. And I have to admit, I have a natural response when it comes to, to road signs like this that might be a little odd, but I bet that some of you can relate here this morning. For example, when I encountered this road sign, this road closure sign the other day, I decided that I 
wanted to continue to move forward rather than take the detour. I wanted to double check, if you will. I wanted to make sure that the road was actually closed. Anyone else do this? Raise your hand if you do this as well. See, honey, wherever my wife is, I'm not the only one that does this. And so I drove around the barriers. Now, my wife, who was sitting next to me, drew my attention to the large signs that were in front of me and said, hey, maybe the road is closed ahead. But I said to her that there's a caveat on this sign. What is it? Local traffic only, right. And I said, I'm feeling pretty local right now. (laughs) I live in Western Pennsylvania. Well, this particular day, as I drove around that sign, the road was actually closed. And I have found out that most of the time, this is the truth. Like 99.9% of the time, the road is actually closed. But there was this one time that I actually did drive through and the road wasn't closed, so it keeps me doing this, right? A few weeks ago when I did this, I had to turn around and do what I like to call the drive of shame, which is drive back to the detour, much to the chagrin of my wife, who doesn't say anything anymore. She kind of just goes, hmm. And I don't even look to that side of the car. I just keep on driving. Here's the point. The first message that the prophets give to the people of Israel are like a giant road sign or a barrier on the path that Israel was going. The prophets wave their hands and they jump up and down and do many other strange things to tell everyone these words. Hey, you don't have to go this way. And if you continue to go down this path, it will lead to many bad things. In their book, Christ from beginning to end, how the full story of Scripture reveals the full glory of Christ. Authors Trent Hunter and Stephen Willem write about the warnings that the prophets give to the people of Israel. These are like warning signs, and they describe them in four ways. And the first warning sign that they give is one of deportation, which means if they continue to go down this path that they will lose their land. They will lose the opportunity to protect and to provide for their families. We see this as early as Leviticus chapter 20, when God is speaking through Moses and says these words, Keep my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I am bringing you to may not vomit you out. This kind of graphic image is many times the words that prophets use, these images, including Moses, to warn those that are following him that if they continue down this path, that they will lose their land. They will lose the very place that sustains them and that cares for them. The second warning sign that we see through the prophets is one of divorce. Now, this one is much more personal. I referenced this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the prophet Hosea. And what God is saying to the people of Israel is that their unfaithfulness to him is hurting their relationship with him. He uses this imagery of an unfaithful bride. And he says that Israel's unfaithfulness is destroying their relationship. It's hurting his heart. Jeremiah says it this way, I thought that after she had done all of this, speaking about Israel's unfaithfulness and their desire to worship other gods, she would return to me. But she did not, and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. 
I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. Yet I saw her unfaithful sister Judah, who had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. But God is saying to Israel, He's lifting this warning sign. He's saying, if you continue down this path, it's going to destroy our relationship. I will be distant from you. We will not be as close. We will not be as personal. It will hurt our relationship. The third warning sign that the prophets raise is one of desertion. That God will leave. He will eventually leave them. That He will not make His dwelling among them. In the book of Ezekiel, we see this as God gives Ezekiel this image of a storm, this vision of a storm, where the very presence of God is picking up and leaving, like a train leaving town. He is packing out, and his dwelling will no longer be among them. But the final warning that God gives through his prophets is one of destruction. Throughout the prophet Joel, God shows that destruction will come to the Israelites to the form of locusts that will come and devour all of their food, all of their crops, and put them in terrible need. But the prophet Jeremiah says it this way in chapter 4 where he says, I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty, and all at the heavens and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking, All of the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was desert. All its towns laid in ruins. So we see this message, this first message that God is giving through the prophets. And they're saying something like this. Hey, something has to change. Don't keep going this way. If you do so, it will lead to many bad things and not the life that God wants for you. But like many of us, Israel ignored the signs. They saw the prophets and they called them crazy. And they dismissed them. They thought, we see that detour sign, but I can find a way around this. We continue down this path. And they kept going down a path that eventually led to destruction. And when they did this, interestingly enough, the message began to change. The message of the prophets began to change from, hey, something needs to change, to we need a Savior. We need someone to save us. We need a Savior. You see, it became painfully obvious that Israel would not turn around. They continued to do what was not right in the eyes of God and what was right in their own eyes. And because of this, they would unfortunately experience much of what the prophets warned about. But there was an issue. God still loved them. He still loved them. And as it became more and more obvious that Israel was going to drive through every road closure sign that the prophets put in front of them and would eventually drive the kingdom right off the cliff into a great crash. The prophets began to speak about one who would come, about one who would save. And we get a glimpse of this promised one 
that would come and save. The first thing that we see about this Savior and the prophets is that this Savior will be personal. Will be personal. Ezekiel says it this way in chapter 34 when he speaks of the one that would come. God says these words, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from, from the countries, and I will bring them to their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. And they will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. I will search for the lost and bring them back, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and will strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Through the prophet, we see the Savior that will come will be personal. Twelve times God says, I will be the one. I will be the one that goes. I will be the one that finds. I will be the one that saves. It will be me. Jesus echoes this personal care of a Savior hundreds of years later when he says these words. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Like a good shepherd, the promised one, the Savior, will be personal. And he will care for the one. And he will care for the 99. The second thing that we see about this promised one in salvation is that salvation will be open to all. That is, that salvation will be available to anyone who will respond. It's not just for a select group of people. Jeremiah says it this way in verse 31. We saw this earlier. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this covenant I will make with the people of Israel after the time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or to say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness 
and remember their sins no more. The prophet Joel says it in a very direct way when he says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation will be available to anyone who will respond. The third thing that we see from the prophets is that the Savior will pay the price. This personal Savior that will come will be the one that pays the price. You see, hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked on this earth, Isaiah began to speak about the one who would pay the price for our sins when he says this in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace, that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Scripture sums this up with these words. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Prophets began to, to point us to this one who was promised and one who will come. So, What does this mean for us today? How do we apply this to our life? How should we think differently, live differently? Yesterday morning, I was reading from 1 John chapter 2, my quiet time. And in that passage in verse 1, Scripture says, I write this so that you do not sin. And I think there are times in life, friends, when we too get warning signs from God. Just like the people of Israel did. There are times when we begin to venture down roads that do not lead to life, but rather lead to something less, or even something that will eventually destroy us or hurt us. So let me ask you this question. Is God giving you a warning sign today? Maybe you know that there's an area of your life where God is saying, hey, something needs to change. Will you listen to it? Will you stop? Will you turn? Will you get help? Maybe you're thinking, I don't want other people to know what I'm struggling with. I don't want to do the drive of shame back to that detour point in life because others will see and know. But trust me, it's better than driving off the cliff and crashing your life. You know, in my own life, there have been times where I know that God has given me a warning sign or two for sure. And sometimes these are hard to determine. But here's a couple of ways that I know that God has redirected my life. Sometimes you hear this in your heart. Just a quiet whisper that you're headed in the wrong direction. You're thinking a thought that you need to let go. Your emotions need to settle down. And maybe you need to be a little less aggressive or maybe a little more aggressive. Sometimes God will speak to your heart quietly. Scripture calls this grieving the Holy Spirit. Will you listen to it? Is he giving you a warning today? Sometimes God loves us enough to allow us to feel a little bit of pain. You know, we generally like to think of pain as bad. 
Sometimes we experience pain and it's a gift to us. For example, if you put your hand on a hot stove today, you will feel pain. God gave that to you as a gift so that you will remove your hand from the stove so you do not hurt yourself. And there is times when God will allow us to prick our hands or prick our hearts. He's trying to get our attention, to redirect us in a certain way. Will you listen to that today? Or maybe someone has spoken to you. Someone that you love and care about has cared enough to have an uncomfortable conversation with you to tell you about an area of your life that you might want to consider. A warning sign, if you will, in your life. Will you listen to that in your life? Is God giving you a warning today? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I have ignored all the warning signs. Looking back, you can say, yeah, I can see them now. People tried to warn me, but I just kept on driving. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, like Israel, I have crashed my life. I've driven it straight off the cliff. You know, in 1 John chapter 2, the scripture continues and says, I've written this so that you do not sin, but if you do sin, we have an atoning sacrifice, and all of us need that in our life. But I want you to know that God loves you even if you have wrecked your life. You know, when I was in high school, like most teenagers, I thought that I was invincible. Uh, And one day I was driving to school on a particular fall day, and my family blessed me with the the family old station wagon. That was the car that I was able to drive around. We called her Big Blue. She was a, a giant Oldsmobile custom cruiser station wagon, and she was blue, if you remember those cars. I think my family, and I'm really glad my dad decided to wrap as much steel as he possibly could around me to protect me while I was driving. Well, one day I was driving into school, and I was late this particular day, and it was fall, and there was a frost on the ground, and there was a frost on the windshield and the windows of the car. Because I was running late, I decided rather than thoroughly scraping the windows that I would do what I called the tank method at that time, which is just scrape one like stripe across the windshield and one on each of the the passenger windows and the driver windows, turn the defrost off and kind of look through those those little slits and, and try to get to school because I was running late. Well, I came up to this busy road that I had to cross with the stop sign and the car in front of me went And I looked through my little slit and didn't see anything at first glance, so I decided to go ahead and punch it and go for it. And as I was going across that intersection, I began to realize when I looked out the window that there was an SUV just a few inches off the passenger side door, and I got T-boned in the side. Now, to be sure, I was at fault. I was the one that pulled out. I was the one that was reckless. That car pushed that door all the way in. My arm was on the armrest of Big Blue, and I was driving with my left hand, and the hood of that SUV stopped just inches away from where my arm was on the armrest. I remember the stereo was still playing, and my first thought was, I think I could drive away from this. No one will notice. (laughs) And then I remember spitting out a a chunk of windshield out of my mouth. Somehow it got in there. I got out of the car walked around to check on the individual who, who hit me. 
you'll apologize for what I did. And he was a young man that was just getting back from a tour in the military. Uh, this was his prized possession. I feel terrible. I destroyed his car. He didn't have a seatbelt on, but he was strong enough to hold the steering wheel, and he bent it like this around, embraced himself, and he was okay. And then I went over to the gas station. This is before cell phones. to ask them if I could call the police. They had already called the police, and they were on their way. And then I decided I need to call my dad. I need to let him know what I did. So I called my father. I said, Dad, I need you to come. There's been a wreck. I've caused a wreck. And he said, where are you? And I told him where I was. He knew the intersection. And he hung up the phone and immediately started to come over. And I remember that day being embarrassed, being ashamed of the wreck that I have made. And I sat down on the, the curb of the road, like, and I watched literally as they started picking up the cars and the police began to protect the wreck of that area. And I just had my hands, kind of my head in my hands like this, waited for my father to come, and I thought, man, he's going to kill me. My dad is going to destroy me. Look at the mess that I've made. I mean, I've stopped traffic all the way down into the center of town. I've destroyed Big Blue. I am dead. And as my dad came to get me, I walked up and I began to go over to him, and I'm like, Dad, I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm sorry for this mess. And he looked at me, and he goes, I don't care about that. He goes, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. And he just grabbed me and he hugged me and he said, I love you. I love you. I'm so glad that you're okay. Friends, I think there's times when we look at the wreck that we've made in our life so much and we miss the fact that God loves you. It doesn't matter if you've driven your life straight off a cliff, if you've destroyed your life, the life of two or three or ten people, around you, God loves you way more, and he way more than he cares about the mess that you might have created. Romans 8.38 says this, nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing we can do. He loves you. The last thing that I wanted to share with you is this something that the prophets seem to say again and again? And sometimes we just need to remember this. We need to keep this in perspective. And that is this. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You know, it can be a struggle to try to follow Jesus in our life. And none of us do this perfectly. There are times that we drive down the wrong road and need to turn around. There are times when we wreck our life and we need him to come back and save us. But the prophets remind us that this isn't all of it, that there will be more, that there will be a time when it is all right. And at times, friends, we need to keep looking forward to that date. We need to be remembered. We need to remember this. Isaiah chapter 65, the prophet says it this way. See, this is God speaking through the prophet. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. He won't even remember it. And Isaiah says it this way in chapter 11, that even creation, friends, will be restored. I love this because I love animals and I can't wait for this day. But there will be a day, God says, the wolf will live with the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, 
and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like, an, like the ox. An infant will play near a cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all, all on my holy mountain. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Friends, we need to keep this perspective that there will be a day, that the best is yet to come, when we will not crash or we will not take wrong turns, and that everything will be restored. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning, for the promise that you have given us of your Son, Jesus Christ, through the prophets. God, we are so grateful for the warning signs that you give us in our own life when we begin to go down the wrong path of life. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, for those that we love that are around us, that we maybe need to speak a warning in love. God, give us the knowledge, the tact, and love to do that well. And God, when we have crashed our lives, we are so grateful for the way that you love us. That you don't look at the wreck or the mistakes that we've made, but that you love us perfectly, that you care for us. Lord, we look forward to that day when it will all be made right, when the struggle will be behind us, and we'll see you perfectly, Lord. Thank you for your scriptures, for what they teach us today, and teach us to follow you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.